You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, y'all. Spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, then I'd like to invite you to check out Southern Gothic, a chart-topping history podcast that explores some of the most infamous legends, folklore, ghost stories, and hauntings of the American South. We've covered all sorts of stuff from the Bell Witch of Tennessee to the disappearance of the Confederate submarine, the H.L. Hunley, not to mention our deep dives into the local lore of some of America's oldest and most haunted cities like New Orleans, Charleston, and St. Augustine. So if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. It's easy to dismiss monsters, especially from your well-lit office or while you're driving down the road in a busy city. What if you're out in the woods in the dark of night, perhaps gathered with a friend or two by a fire, or maybe crouching by a tree listening to the thousand-throated voice of the forest? There are many people who don't just read about monsters. They go out and look for them. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. In this episode, we'll be talking to a reporter who wanted to know more about Bigfoot and the culture of people who hunt for these mystery animals. His name is Joe Jasandi, and he's a reporter, but he also went out on the hunt as a Bigfoot hunter himself and has written a book about his experiences. The book is called Monster Trek. And this is Monster Talk. Joe Gisondi is a professor of journalism at Eastern Illinois University, and he's worked as a journalist for more than 20 years. He has a focus on sports, and he co-hosts a sports media podcast. We've invited Joe onto Monster Talk to talk about his latest book, which is an interesting departure from his sports journalism. And this book is Monster Trek, The Obsessive Search for Bigfoot. So welcome to the show, Joe. Yeah, oh, glad to be here. This was a fun book to read, and I really liked the uh, the style of it. Uh, very, very funny, lots of humor, and uh, just very interesting. Almost John Ronson-esque in some of the ways you approached it. So, uh, And different to all the other Bigfoot books out there. Well, yeah, yeah. This is not like any of the ones we've done before, for sure. And, uh, and boy, I, we've, we've dealt with a lot of Bigfoot books. So. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, Joe, how did a professor of journalism develop such an interest in Bigfoot? I know you kind of discussed this in the book, but uh, I sure. want to make sure our listeners have a, a feel for that. Sure. You know, I, I grew up in New Jersey till I was about 15 and then moved to Florida. And um, I, my mother, we used to get the Newark Star-Ledger, the New York Times, all the 
different papers, but we also got the National Enquirer back before it was the TMZ stuff. It was, you know, ghosts and Bigfoot and all kinds of cool stuff. And, you know, as a eight, 10, 11 year old kid, you know, you're, you're digging all that stuff and thinking in the back of your mind, Hey, is this real? Is this not real? So, uh, Bigfoot in particular has always been part of, uh, part of my curiosity, wanting to know if it existed or not. And even in grad school, I remember when I was doing research on William Congreve, a 16th century playwright and other stuff, I'd stumble across Bigfoot stuff and go, Oh, let me pause and look at this Bigfoot story somewhere in a, in a magazine on microfiche or something like that. And uh, so I always was interested. So when I was going for an MFA, I, I was trying to think of something that would interest me. And of course, Bigfoot came out there and I thought I've always wanted to go on an expedition. I wanted to know what was going on. So I started making connections and started working on it. And um, I was convinced early on I wasn't going to write it in first person until a friend of mine convinced me to write it in the first person. And, and, and she was absolutely right. I think that was the better way to do it, to immerse myself in the story as well. Everybody has written a book, it seems like, on Bigfoot on some way. Do they exist? The monsters of certain area and the grass men and everything. And I had noticed that no one had really focused on the people who actually search for Bigfoot. And that really interests me far more than whether or not Bigfoot exists. As a journalist, I'm always telling my students that if you want to find a good story, find something that someone's passionate about, whether it's quilting or looking for Bigfoot, and, and go write about those people, and you'll probably get the best stories. Why is the search for Bigfoot obsessive? Why do people, as you say, devote a chunk of their lives to finding one? Well, as, as you probably know, people are obsessive about so many different things in their life. And uh, for some people, this is their obsession. I've seen people who spend way more money on on searching for Bigfoot, whether it's five or $10,000 night vision goggles or, you know, traveling all over the country when it appears, you know, in some places I know that people don't have that kind of money sometimes. And, you know, I think that's sort of part of an obsession, you know, whether it's some people obsess over, you know, buying shoes and some people obsess on, well, I just got, before I came here, I just started uh, riding with a bike group and, um, I'm riding on a, like a $900 bike and the people all around me ha are spending three, four or $5,000 and cause it's something that's important to them. So I don't right. know if that's really an obsession, but you know, when something's important to their lives, um, there's also people that believe they saw Bigfoot, but yet they're not sure. Even when they, when they say they've seen it, they're wondering, did I actually see what I saw? So their obsession is to go back out there and, and to confirm that what they saw was actually real. Mm-hmm. But that's always a challenge, I think. Uh, we deal with that a lot on the show because um, it, it's it, if you've had a firsthand experience with it, it's so powerful. It seems to really transform people. And uh, I, I know that some people have a lot of certitude, uh, even on what sounds like very fleeting evidence. And then other people are skeptical despite a strong confidence they really saw something, which I find that it's just an amazing spectrum of, of human experience tied up with Big mm -hmm. Fittery. It's, it's actually, I mean, I don't know in your experiences, to me it seems, almost, I talk about it a little bit in the book, it's sort of a religious experience, you know, and um, you see that and imagine if one day, you know, you heard some voice in your head and, and it's God telling you to do something and you can understand why people go, is this really God? I mean, you know, in the Bible, you have all kinds of stories and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's me. Listen to me, you know, and is it really you, <laughs> you know, and, and, you're, and you're, and you're trying to find these things out. So, uh, you know, 
I think it's almost impossible. I, I can't imagine someone replicating it. Although I know lots of, I've talked to lots of people who have said that they've seen Bigfoot multiple times. I have not. In many ways, I'm I'm jealous because in religion too, I'd love to have the faith that people have in religion. And I and you know I struggle with that all my life. And the same thing with Bigfoot. You know, I'm, I want to believe, but um, I'm I'm quite skeptical. You know, as well. So I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but you know, I'd love to have that experience to know. Or although maybe that would ruin me because. I'd question it if I did, and then I'd spend the rest of my life obsessed with trying to figure this out or not. You covered that tie-in with faith uh, very well over the course of the book, and and you make the point, I think, very very bluntly, which we've kind of made here on our show in general, is that ultimately you're going to have to get a body, you know. But in the meantime, whether you have a body or not, you still have this fascinating culture that's developed around the hunt for this creature, and I think your book does a superb job of introducing uh, people to that uh, in a way that I don't think any book I've looked at has done. I mean, you've got uh, a broad spectrum of encounters with different people um, from a lot of different walks of life, taking different approaches at the subject matter. It's really good. I really liked it. So I, I think our listeners will get a real kick out of it. So well, I think it's very interesting that you do kind of uh, break the the stereotype too. I think a lot of our listeners have in their heads from from watching television uh, the the kind of person who goes out obsessively searching for Bigfoot. And in your book, you talk about financiers and people with backgrounds in insurance and uh, just from all different kinds of walks of life that that uh, you would not normally expect to get into this sort of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I I find that a lot of the journalists who, who have written about it um, write it sometimes humorously, tongue-in-cheek. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I didn't come in as a disciple. Um, I came in as someone who's who, who wants to know skeptically. But the other thing is I had, I made sure that people realized I did not come in to make fun of people. And I made that very clear. And, and, and I hope in the book, I did not, you know, make fun of, of people in this book about that. I was trying to show them as they were in the, in the moments, you know, going out on these expeditions with them and then doing research on them and talking about the areas. I really wanted to get into as much as I could, why they did it why they were you know, consumed or obsessed or, or anything with that. And um, I was lucky people opened up to me. They started trusting me. But, you know, you, you develop those relationships and, and, and people will start talking to me, I guess. I think you do a great job of just letting people speak for themselves. So rather than really pasting anything onto them, uh, you, you're just letting them have their say in the book. The same way journalism is supposed to be. Well, yeah. I think you've got a. There's an interesting point. You you mentioned doing the first person perspective, and I think what happens if you take a, a, a third person approach, you might get a very uh, accurate representation of of what's going on. But um, as an outsider, it's really easy to make fun of people, even unintentionally. And when you when you're a part of it, when you say, "Look, I'm looking for Bigfoot too." Um, it, it changes the, uh, I think the, the emotional content quite a bit, at least that's my perspective on it. So, yeah, I was trying to, I mean, trying to let people know the struggles I was trying to go through and let them know, yeah, I have questions or I believe this or whatever it happens to be. Uh, um, I think it would have been a rather stale approach I think, if I had stuck with the third person the same way, unfortunately, I think some first 
some person journalism can get, you know, um, there's certainly some fantastic third person journalism out there, but, um, you know, once in a while, it's good to, to throw something in the first person and immerse yourself in the story. Sure. So do you mind me going off the rails for just a second? So you, you, uh, oh. you, you, <laughs> you, you, this is a little bit meta. Well, this, this is kind of a meta question. So you teach sure. journalism and, right. um, as part of the coursework for journalism these days, is is a portion of that about the business of journalism, or is it mostly about writing and the ethics and that sort of stuff? Well, you know, you sort of talk about the business all the way through. Um, you, you have to. Um, there are some programs that really focus a great deal on the business. Um, in one of my classes, I teach a, a sports and the media class, and we talk about the sports media industry as a whole. Um, we don't really have a class that talks just on the sports media industry, but we talk about it. We talk about the issues and, and we talk about, you know, the ethics and the law. And, and we're trying to teach people how to think properly and creatively and digging deeper and getting the right sources and continue to go after the sources. And, you know, just like anything else, you know, it, you have to practice it. You know, what was it Malcolm Gladwell who said, you know, in Outliers, I think you have to do something 10,000 hours before you can even think about being somewhat expert in it. And and it takes a long time. And, and the problem, unfortunately, in journalism is that these young kids are out there practicing it early on and they're going to make a mistake like anybody else. And usually, usually it's not purposefully. It's because they're trying to figure it out. A lot of people think journalism just like education, they think, oh, teaching is easy. Teaching's not. I mean, I think it's a lot easier at my level for certain things, but imagine a second grade teacher or someone who's teaching um, some uh, people with learning disabilities. That's really hard. And people tend to think they know things that they don't, whether it's education or journalism. And and and, and now with social media, people rip in a whole lot, uh, you know, into whatever it happens to be. Um, even in the elections, you know, you see in our country here and, and no, actually you're in, in, over in England and, and in France now, you know, people think they know a lot more than they do. And um, it also boils over into, you know, with the Bigfoot thing is people make decisions before they know any of the facts, you know, mm -hmm. and that causes a problem. The reason I ask is there's a, a, a sort of pattern I see in, uh, especially in, in uh, visual media, like the, like news reports. So if a story is going to be covered about Bigfoot, for example, it almost mm -hmm. always has the same format. You know, a local did a local man see a mysterious creature? And then, like, they cut at the last you know minute or two of the show. They do a one or two minute piece. It's a mystery. I guess we'll never know. Tune. In, you know, they'll play the X Files music and they cut to the, the next <laughs> right, day. Right? right, and it's like it's over and over again. And then in the uh, in the in I guess in print media it's along the same lines. Uh, you know, there's magazines like the or I say magazines, but outlets like the Daily Mail and the Sun and these sort of tabloid sure. uh, that even they don't seem to sincerely give a damn uh, whether or not these animals are real. It's all about uh, exploiting the mystery and to some extent, in my opinion, making fun of the people who are experiencing it. So. Mm -hmm. That that's that's exactly you know what it is. It's almost like that their hand that like when they're telling the story, they have their hand over their mouth and going, "Oh my my, isn't this funny?" You know, and or exploiting is is a perfect word for something like that. Um, there's I have read very few pieces and seen very few on television, and I'm trying I'm struggling to see if there's any. I'm just thinking there has to be somewhere um, where they've taken it really somewhat seriously. 
Um, as a matter of fact, friends of mine in journalists go, you know, they make jokes all the time about, well, would we do a serious piece on leprechauns? Um, and, and they make that connection there or whatever it happens to be. So, yeah, th- there's not a whole lot. I'm, I'm in the midst right now of I'm just starting doing some research. Uh, somebody's writing a book on all aspects of, of Bigfoot across the country, and I'm doing one on media coverage of how it's been. And I just recently started that. But from the research I have done, it's you're right on. You know, it's let's have this format. Let's exploit it. Let's have some fun with it. Cue the X-Files music or some other scary, creepy, weird music that people may or may not know. And next, it's a filler. It's a filler. They don't they don't really care. I, I, I just it seems irresponsible to me, considering how many people legitimately take the subject matter seriously um, to always use it as a sort of clickbait fluff piece. But that's just my opinion. But um, and, and I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I, I, I was curious from someone who's on the inside, what's that, what's that like? So yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't like that anybody does anything, whether it's about Bigfoot or anything. If you, if you're going to do it, let's do it, and you know, not that we have to be serious and everything, but do it legitimately or, or not at all. <laughs> you know, it's not a journalism you're supposed to inform and entertain and the entertainment part is to help people get informed actually um like not the tmz stuff and is is certainly unnecessary people to watch it fine but that's not journalism uh usually i mean sometimes actually break some news believe it or not but it's not journalism and this isn't what what they're doing coverage of bigfoot or ghosts or you know werewolves you know people I don't understand. It. Well, I do understand. They're doing it because they're trying to get something fun at the end of the day. And we've had this hard news. Let's let's end with this little bright about people who actually think they think they saw Bigfoot. Yeah. 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 Well, it'll be interesting to keep in touch with you uh, when you're working on this other book or when you, you've got that completed. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds interesting. Let's get back to our, your book and some questions about that. Um, so just getting back to, to the book and to your experiences, what was it like to tag along with these Bigfoot trackers to, to their expeditions? Oh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, I like hiking. I like camping. Mm-hmm. I like this. I like mysteries. And that's what this is, too. It's like trying to solve a mystery, which is an awful lot of fun. Um, and, you know, you go out there and you meet interesting people. You know, several people I've kept in touch with um, and, and, and talked to from time to time. And um, I, I I would love to, you know, I'd like to go out more often now. I just don't have a legitimate reason to go out at this point with a lot of people. Um, there's one or two people that uh, that I still might want to go out with and, and go out in the woods with. Um, uh, one, one person who lives out in Portland, he's actually on, does some, some TV shows with it and um, he and I, I was actually supposed to go out with him for one of the chapters and I had an incident with my eye at that point point. I couldn't go out there, but I'd still like to go out there and visit him and go out for a couple of days and see his spots and, and just really dig into it a bit more. It's, I, I loved working with these people. I love talking to anybody. I, I, I'm, I am, uh, you know, when they do the Myers-Briggs test, I'm way on the extrovert side so i i get energized talking to people i really love doing it and and these were really some nice interesting people sounds like it so in uh in addition to the people you talk a lot about the uh some of the hazards of being out in nature do you want to talk a little bit about some of the uh, the dangerous things that people are running into when they go to look for bigfoot maybe that's not the only danger out there well well it's, it's certainly not i mean um, 
I grew, I moved to Florida when I was 15 and I lived in a, in a city called Coral Springs, which is in Broward County, about a half hour northwest of Fort Lauderdale. And at the time, it was the farthest west city anywhere around there. So I could ride my bike to the edge of the Everglades and go out to the dikes and look out forever and ever. And um, you're in the middle, the middle of nowhere and, and, and just having a, a whole lot of fun with, with, with that. And um, uh, Florida is probably one of the most dangerous places actually to go for anything. If you go out in the woods, the real Florida, you know, not Disney World and Orlando <laughs> and things like that. They're pretty scary, uh, too. They are. They are. And and my wife was a biologist down there for 10 years, uh, driving airboats around and collecting alligator eggs. And actually, she had some far more interesting, fun, fun life than I did. I used to tag along with her sometimes to see what she was doing. Um, she um, she's she's a better camper and hiker than I am. And but now in Florida, it's even more dangerous because you have these reticulated what, pythons and boas and everything. I read a story that three weeks ago, somebody, I think, in Southeast Asia, they opened up one of these 25 footers and, and they found a man inside um, who had been killed, I guess, a couple of days earlier. You have these things, you know, they're killing the rabbits and the foxes and everything in the Everglades. So that's a dangerous thing. And of course, in Florida, if you're going trouncing around, you, you've got all kinds of things, cotton mouths that'll chase you. You have uh, coral snakes that if they bite you, they're tough because they have small mouths, but if they do, um, rattlesnakes that won't necessarily kill you, but it'll hurt so much that you'll be bleeding out of your eyes and ears. And you'll wish you were dead. It'll hurt so much. And, 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 and you know, and I, when you're down there, though, when you live there, you, you think about those, but, but not as much because you jump into canoes and you go everywhere and sometimes even swimming in areas where there's gators and course the gators down there you know a lot of them are scary scared of you but you know they'll come after you uh if you do some stupid things like swimming in certain areas that you should not be doing um so florida itself has a whole lot and then of course if you go uh when i went with um a couple of people out in the wind river mountains you know dr jeff meldrum and john mazinski you know we're out in the middle of this top top mountain there and um you know, you have everything from large bears to could be cats out there. And, and we've come across that everywhere. But but I got to tell you, the scariest thing out there is always going to be us humans. You know, <laughs> I'm far more worried about some crazy person. Like, I don't know that I would have gone out with somebody on an expedition that I didn't really know by myself with that person. Right. Uh, because I don't know who these people are in bigger groups. I felt a little safer. I don't know if that was justified, but you know, you feel like, you know, there, and there's a couple of people in some groups that seem kind of off and, and crazy from time to time. But um, yeah, those are the, those are the, some of the things that, 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 that make me worry, you know, when I'm out in the woods and I love being there, but you always have to keep your eyes open. And are there any cases of Bigfoot hunters who've been attacked by bears or alligators or rattlesnakes um i don't know of any there was a woman uh caroline solomon uh, that i read about in the florida chapter who unfortunately passed away about a year and a half ago um she was all of about i don't know five four five five and you know 130 pounds soaking wet if that and she used to trounce through the green swamp uh, which is an area where you know as I mentioned a little bit in the book, you know, they used to put prisoners in World War II from Germany. They were figuring they're not going to want to go anywhere from there and go out into the woods. Uh, it's also the site near Dade City, which I believe is where they had the rattlesnake roundup. There's so many. They put they put uh, stakes in the ground and they they'd smack on them, and the vibrations would bring the snakes up and things like that. But Carol Ann used to go out there all by herself. Just and the areas that I tromped around with those guys was not on the paths. 
And, you know, I started looking around going, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is smart. Even though we got six people here, some, we could step on something. There could be something that could jump out somewhere after us. And uh, we were far away from anything. We had parked and hiked and it's slow walking through the through the through the through the wetlands there in, in central Florida. I don't know of anybody who's been attacked, though, but, you know, sometimes it's a risk. Oh, yeah, it, it, it is a risk, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, isn't there a book out there called uh, Bigfoot 411 or something where this guy's claiming that people have been lost in the woods, they've been killed by Bigfoot uh, in these locations? Um, but, you know, how do we know it's not a grizzly or something else that's out there that was that killed or, or a human, of course? Do you you do talk about quite a few of the uh, some of the top celebrities or characters in in the Bigfoot field right now? Can you talk a little bit about uh, uh, like your experiences with Matt Moneymaker and Jeff Meldrum or even Tom Biscardi? Well, when I first started doing this, like anybody else, I typed in Bigfoot, and the first thing that typically jumped out was Tom Biscardi's group. And I remember calling him. I think it was in uh, April or May. E, um, evening and I sent him an email and suddenly my phone rings about 30, 45 minutes later and it's Tom Biscardi going, oh, so you're doing a book on people who search for Bigfoot, you know, it's like, of course he's Tom Biscardi, so he wants publicity and uh, so we ended up talking for about 45 minutes and, and, and I certainly understand why people um, like him um, who, those people, of course, who, who are not in the Bigfoot field or anything like that, people who have never met him before, he comes across uh, very well. He's uh, he, he knows how to talk really well to people. He, he you know, he, he, it's almost like he's confiding in you so you'll confide in him. And he's a great talker, you know. I mean, P.T. Barnum would be proud of him. Um, and I don't necessarily mean that in, in, in the negative tone in which maybe I, I've, I've really said that right here. Um, I find him to be a very engaging person. As a matter of fact, I was supposed to then go out with him in North Carolina the very same week that um, that they did the uh, Georgia. Remember the Georgia boys said they had that carcass and Tom got involved with yeah. that. And yeah, so yeah. I never ended up going out with them because they had canceled it. Uh, but I found him to be a very engaging person. But of course I know the history and I've read the stories and, you know, he's, you know, he is who he is, you know, as far as a, uh, a salesman of things that oftentimes don't exist, unfortunately. Um, as far as Matt Moneymaker, of course, he's somebody who's very prominent in the Bigfoot field from finding Bigfoot. And, um, he is um, he is somebody that, as, as you guys probably know, and in the book too, I mean, some people even loathe him for all the things that he has done. But um, I found him to be nothing but candid and and, uh, and re- really pleasant to talk to. When I saw him in, in Oklahoma, I write in the book about how I was you know, lost that first night trying to find people. And he tracked me down and, and then he talked to me several different times and he was more than glad to, to converse. And he had told me about the Finding Bigfoot story back, you know, that first expedition in Oklahoma. Um, and, uh, and then I got to talk to him a little bit more in North Carolina. Unfortunately, for a little while there, I was persona non grata because I had gone on two BFRO, Bigfoot Research Organization, um, expeditions. But um, little did they know, I did not sign a non-disclosure agreement because as a journalist, I'm not going to let somebody else have power over what I'm writing. Otherwise, who's going to trust it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had thought about maybe going on another one and they said, nope, you can't come. And then they were going to come after me. And I said, no, not doing it, not listening, you know, um, 
And, and then I know that a word got out on one of the listservs for Bigfoot researchers. Don't talk to Joe. He's going to try to screw you and everything else there. And a couple of the researchers who I met said, Joe, well, I know you're not going to do that. He goes, he's just angry. Um, whatever you want, let me know. And at that point, though, I was ready to go off the BFRO and I didn't want the book to be about BFRO. Um, but it was a good starting ground. And in the interim, um, I've gotten to know um, – Cliff Berrickman. As a matter of fact, I was I had contacted him before he was on the show, and then when he got on the show, they had told him he, at first that he wasn't supposed to do any publicity. And after a while, he goes, "Eh, it's all good. Whatever you want." And then um, he's he's been just a great, great guy um, for a lot of different things. And um, in the end, I had asked for permission to run something from the BRFRO site, and uh, through the channels, I heard that Matt said, "Sure, let him have it." Um, so I think he realizes I wasn't out to to rip into him. And, um, I was, I conveyed what other people said about him, but I think I talked in, in my conversations, I think I conveyed that, you know, he was very pleasant with me. Are there any lingering limitations in what you can talk about with the BFRO after you're falling out with them? I'll talk about anything. There's nothing that I won't talk about, you know, frankly. <laughs> Um, if, if I find it to be newsworthy or interesting, that's what I want to do is I want to tell these interesting stories. Um, there's a lot of interesting stories that Matt and I talked about during those times that I, that I put in the book there. Um, he had, um, he's a very interesting person, a very interesting character, you know, so, so to speak. Uh, and, um, he revealed a lot about what was going on. Of course, I did some research to, to talk about that as well. Um, when I talked to Jeff Meldrum, he was a, a great guy. I met him and a guy named John Mazinski. Who's John Mazinski? Sort of like a, the, a modern MacGyver, the way he lives. I mean, just an amazing, amazing man. Um, and, and Jeff told me a lot of stuff, you know, personal things. And um, and sometimes when people tell me personal things, I'm not just going to run it just because I know it. If it's not interesting or pertinent, sometimes I, I won't. There's actually a Bigfoot researcher in in one of the expeditions who, who's an expert in an area that they would find out very early who he was, even if I sort of made reference to his profession and it would have destroyed his career. And, uh, I said, and I told everybody when I, when I up front, I said, listen, I know there's a lot of people here. If you absolutely don't want to be in this book, I won't write about you. Let me know though, because afterwards too late, mm -hmm. you know, it's the book's already published. And this person ended up being a really great resource for me for a lot of different things. And, um, and I, of course I kept his name out there. Uh, Jeff, I thought was a great guy. Um, Jeff's a guy who um, he's he's got a target on his back, you know, both in academia and outside of academia. Everybody's coming after him, and he told me lots of stories about that. And of course, you read about him. And um, here's a guy who's who's the most sciencey, you know, of of any of the people probably who are searching for Bigfoot, who knows a lot about his specialty and locomotion and things like that. And and he's all in. He's all in about finding Bigfoot. And and as is John Mazinski, who's you know, he's like a William Bartram combined with probably a MacGyver, you know, his science, you know, his science knowledge and taking journals. And these guys were just absolutely amazing. And the fact that they were willing to talk to me and tell me such fascinating stories. And, you know, there's a great story, you know, in, in the book about John Mazinski talking to a, a, a Grover uh, Krantz um, at the end of his life and a request that Grover made of, of, uh, of John that just shocked me. You know, it's kind of interesting to hear that as well. Hello, 
I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and are useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the big dinosaur podcast. Studying dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents. Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution. Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases. A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't mind me harping on the BFRO for just a moment, I, we've actually tried to get Matt on the show before Finding Bigfoot came on. He was very hesitant, and I don't think he really wanted to talk to skeptics. But my take on it has always been, uh, I, I guess with his name being Moneymaker and that he was charging you know, $300 a head for expeditions, the easy thing to say is, oh, well, he's in it for the money. But it seems like he really sincerely believes in this stuff. I don't, I mean, that, that that was my take on it. I mean, the more I see of him, the more I think he's, he legitimately believes in Bigfoot and he wants to make a living with it. So, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean, you know, someone's trying to, someone has a specialty they're trying to do. Hey, sure, go try to make a living. You know, I mean, I have no problem with that. Uh, but you're right, people, because of his name and, and, and that, they, you're, they rip into him all the time. Yeah. But I do believe he, I mean, he do. I mean, in the conversations I have, there's no doubt that he believes, at least in my in my opinion. Yeah, he comes yeah. across as being sincere about that much of it. But I would, Absolutely. I'd love to have him on. I'm, I'm actually, uh, I, I haven't finished all the paperwork and everything, but I've been uh, accepted to give a presentation at uh, CryptidCon uh, in Kentucky in September. Oh. So, you. <laughs> yeah, I'm very excited about that. I'm, I, and uh, because um, I, I'm, I'm not aware of any other uh, predominantly skeptical uh, speakers. But uh, so, what, what, where is that? Where is that going to be? And what city? It's outside of Lexington. Uh, but I'm excited because um, Cliff will be there. So I'm hoping maybe I can get a chance to talk to him, and, and maybe uh, I'd like to uh, talk to somebody from the show before it ends. I mean, we've been trying. We've been around longer than their show has and you know have been trying to get them before they became tv famous and uh you know then it became less likely i think as their fame grew (laughs) well cliff comes from it from so many different um unique angles of course he was a science teacher in middle school and but his his, and uh he's also quite an accomplished jazz guitarist by the way neat uh 
he um, his thoughts on different things are really really interesting, and um, his Twitter feed is certainly worth a follow as well. I really enjoy him. You know, we we've talked to each other on the phone several times. Right away, he said, "Hey, here's my cell phone. Um, call me, text me whenever you want." And um, and we talked several times. I got to meet him uh, in person when they were filming something in Illinois for Finding Bigfoot, and he and I chatted for a day, you know, uh, an evening. Um, and then the next time I got the song was uh, at the International Cryptozoology uh, event down in St. Augustine about a year and a half ago in January, and went to dinner with him, and my daughter was with me. And just, it's just, a, you know, he's a very classy guy, very smart guy. Um, he, and he, and, and I, I don't know, I think it comes across somewhat in the show, uh, but he's he's someone that uh, I have a lot of respect uh, for about Bigfoot and anything in science, actually. So I think you'll, you'll appreciate speaking with him. Joe, can you tell us a little bit about um, uh, some of the interesting alleged Bigfoot behaviors that you've encountered while researching the book? You make numerous references to people claiming biological features like ultrasound and uh, low crawling to <coughs> excuse me, low crawling to. Um, avoid the FLIR cameras and cat hunting, that sort of thing? Again, there's lots of interesting stories in the living room. Right. Maybe the, the one that um, affected me directly the most was the one in Florida where we had been trompsing through this really thick stuff for about two or three days. And the last night I was there, uh, Carol Ann uh, Solomon um, we had been out and about, and we had actually <laughs> we had actually slipped through the uh, uh, the federal officials. They didn't want us in certain areas, and we were able to get in before other people. And we we're sitting along at the uh, one of the rivers there, you know, in that part of Florida. The rivers are kind of like tan acre uh, or tea colored, or even to black in, in those areas. And we hung out there at the night. So we get back probably about one or two in the morning, and. We're, imagine, you know, um, an area that's probably, I don't know, 100, maybe 70 yards by about 40 yards. Um, and it's all sand and there's some picnic benches and some places to go camping there. But hemmed in on, on the east side is the green swamp. And, you know, you take a few steps out and it's thick stuff for tens or hundreds of miles out in that way. You go... Uh, south, it's it's pretty much the same way. As a matter of fact, the day we got there, there were wild hogs that uh, live in Florida. You know, they brought over from DeSoto and, and a lot of the Spaniards in the 1500s. And man, those things are dangerous too. You do not want to be one of those. They'll tear you up, um, especially if they're if you're between if their kids or their little 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 uh, babies are around. And then on the other side was a river that opened up into a cow pasture and then, and, and the other side, there was some little bit more woods. Well, we were facing the east side towards, um, uh, you know, towards the east coast there. And she goes, Hey, let's see if we can call something in. And I'm like, okay, sure. And Caroline does this. You've heard that probably yells on finding Bigfoot and everybody has their variation of it. And she gives her yell, um, really loud and very long for such a, 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 a smallish person. And, um, and we pause. And then very soon thereafter, I hear something, we all hear something in the distance. And we're sitting about maybe six to eight feet from the tree line or the wetlands line or whatever you want to call it, where the really thick stuff is. Um, and you can't really peer in there. And you start hearing this wild sound that the best uh, 
the best description for me is something from if you ever saw any of the modern uh, Planet of the Apes when they're attacking, they're all screaming and shrieking and yelling. <laughs> and you start hearing it in the distance, and then you start hearing it getting closer and closer still, and in a very fast, somewhat a fast pace. And you're thinking, people can't run that quick. And plus, in the middle of the night, you don't want to do that in the middle of all that area. I mean, you'd just be insane, beyond insane. And plus, you just couldn't get in there. And it started getting closer and closer. And then it, I had a recorder in my hand, and I never turned it on. And I'm still so angry about that because my wife, being a biologist, might have been able to you know, tell me what it sounded like. Um, it was not quite, you know, people said, oh, well, it could have been a barred owl or something like that. Well, first of all, they're not really that out and that many of them out there as far as I could tell from the research and talking to people. Uh, secondarily, it didn't sound exactly because I know what a barred owl sounds like too. Uh, it sounded like a, uh, something between an ape and a barred owl. You know, it was, it was that combination and we heard it then in another direction coming in too. And it was coming in, coming in. And of course, like an idiot, like as journalists tend to be, they, they run towards stupidity <laughs> to cover it, uh, whether it's a hurricane or, you know, a, a gorilla or a Bigfoot or something coming at you. And uh, so I'm sort of leaning towards the woods and it, like right before the edge, it just stopped. And we're peering into the woods there going, is there, is there something there? Is there not? And it was sort of my, you know, my, 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 uh, my body was getting really tense and, and you get goosebumps and, and we're waiting and then just silence and you didn't hear any animal anywhere. And in Florida, you'll, you'll hear that like most woods, you'll hear some a little bit here and there. And there was nothing for, for a long time. And then, um, Slowly, it, it started coming back through the rest of the night there. And uh, I remember Carol Ann going, there's your 800-foot barred owl, you know. <laughs> and it was the, that, was, that was probably the most fascinating. There were other times where I was out in Oklahoma and we, the guy next to me had a couple, a couple of rocks thrown at him. Um, and there was a woman out there that was just, uh, I mentioned in the book, Pam, who, who was as tough as nails. Like my wife's a real tough person, you know, and this woman was just like that, unafraid to go out in the middle of nowhere and her heart, beat. she said she saw some things and we raced towards her and we didn't see anything, but another guy who got there uh, saw something. Um, just some, I was fortunate enough to come across some really interesting situations. And, and of course, in other times we didn't see anything, but the people were so fascinating and that, that made it interesting enough. That you mentioned a barred owl. That's um, uh, an animal that figures prominently in uh, some other uh, famous monsters. The uh, a Mothman of Point Pleasant. Uh, yeah, is, is Mothman. A, a lot of skeptics believe that was a barred owl. And coincidentally, there's a, a little nature preserve about a mile from my house, and they have a nesting pair that lives there now. And I want to hear them so badly. But it's one of those things where you have to pay to get in. And I'm trying to figure out if there's a way they'll let me come in, you know, before opening hours so I can kind of, you know, have a chance to <laughs> see it in the middle of the night or whenever they're active. But uh, I really would like to hear one for real. Um, the, so I had one more question about Bigfoot directly, and that is you mentioned in a few places uh, people talking about some of the sort of paranormal aspects that are sometimes associated with Bigfoot in your in your uh, work did you did you find many people who were willing to openly talk about the possibility that Bigfoot might be a supernatural creature or was it mostly people treating it like a very natural uh, just a, a an animal we don't know about what how is that kind of split up 
Um, I think a, most of them that I came across thought it was a silly notion, but there were people. There, there were more than a few that did, and um, and I'm always willing to listen to anything. You know, you just don't know. There are some people who believe Bigfoot is actually an alien or was brought here by aliens, and that's why you can't find Bigfoot is because you know they're protected and they have these other powers of transportation or whatever it happens to be. Or, um, see, people, some people say they're connected to will of the wisps, where they can just sort of travel like that. And if you see little lights going through the woods, it's it's a Bigfoot being able to travel, and uh, and in sort of those supernatural ways. Um, yeah, you hear some of these things, and 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 I'm trying to think. The guy's last name it escapes me for some reason. Eric something. Um, he was somebody who really believed that they were connected to UFOs. He's he's he died probably about six eight years ago. Beckyard, Beck, Beck. And, and Eric Beckyard. Uh, <laughs> matter of fact, he called me just yelling at me a couple of times early on. You know, I didn't. I never met him. He called me while I was coaching a softball. Uh, I was coaching my softball girls, and um, and I wouldn't take the call. Or I said, "Hey, I got to call you back later." And then he called back, just screaming and yelling. He he was kind of. I'm not averse to believing that perhaps an animal, if Bigfoot exists, has some sort of telepathy or something like that. Because there's a lot of animals that have sort of ultrasound or sonar or things like that. So maybe a creature like that is, has found a way out of necessity and, you know, through, through time has evolved into that. Who knows? I don't think it's something like a ghost. I just, I just can't believe it's not a flesh and bones creature that's out there. And I certainly don't think it's connected to, to um, UFOs. Although those theories are pretty to think so, right? You know, they're kind of fun, um, and it's fun discussing it even right here. You know, I mean, who says? I mean, we really don't know anything. Uh, we have to start with the fact that no one's a Bigfoot expert because no one has actually dissected or done anything to a Bigfoot. No one knows anything. So all these theories are just that. They're wild theories that no one knows anything about. People think they know, and maybe people who have done some research that has been unsubstantiated and, and really do, do have some information um, know something, but it hasn't been scientifically proven uh, at this point. So who knows if they're paranormal? Who knows if they're flesh and blood? Or who knows if they exist, you know, for that matter? Um, although it's interesting to hear people on these expeditions and other things. And again, that's why I focused on this book is I really am enamored and, and, and compelled and, and just fascinated by the people who search for Bigfoot and further that suddenly have these theories based on their beliefs, you know, and, and that, that's, that's really interesting. And some very, very smart people, you know, who, who are doing that. And again, maybe they have knowledge I don't have, and maybe some of them are justified. I don't know. Well, there's a, even if they don't have knowledge, they, a lot of people have certitude. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's America right now, isn't it? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's certainly all fun to talk about anyway. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So I'm just curious, as a teacher, do you find that there are any lessons uh, in all of this for your students with the, the search for Bigfoot? Oh, yeah. Actually, you, I use it in some of my classes. I teach uh, 
I teach an advanced reporting class, uh, which is more of a public records and, you know, and know how to cover and look up things and, uh, and, and, you know, certainly enhance their writing skills. And, and I teach a feature writing class too. And it's really more in the feature writing class that I bring some of the lessons in and sometimes the advanced reporting. Uh, one is, you know, how to, how to talk to people. How to find sources, you know, and I talk about the whole thing, as I mentioned earlier, about being passionate about things and, um, you know, how to how to call sources. And um, I did a lot of research, you know, I mean, I, I did so much research um, <laughs> looking up things and some stuff, you know, sometimes I'd research for three or four hours for a sentence or a paragraph because mm-hmm. uh, you want to make sure you get it right. And 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 maybe I'm ADD this way. So now I start going and looking at something that's like a shiny object. Ooh, let me look at this. Let me, and I start going off in these other directions. And sometimes something interesting comes out and, and, and it's fun. I love doing research and I try to let them know that you need to do all this work before you can really write about anything. You know, you can't just go out and talk to people and be a stenographer and just say, here's what this person said and that person. We need to give it context, particularly in today's political arena in the United States. You know, we have a we have a, uh, a president and we have um, a uh, sec- uh, not secretary of state, a press secretary who are talking about alternative facts, for God's sakes. And they're talking about, well, we have our own facts. That's just absolute BS. It's nonsense. It's, you know, you know, I, I could go off on a, on a cursing rant here because it, it's, a, it's a wrong lesson for America. And it's something that I think um, is, is hurting us a great deal. On the other hand, it's really being great for journalism because we're re- people are realizing we need good journalists who are going to yeah. give context. We need context. We need to figure these things out. We need to verify it. We need to stick to the facts and get rid of the conjecture. So some of those things um, uh, we talk about in the classes and then also developing scenes, you know, and putting scenes together and talking about conflict. And, you know, fortunately, a lot of these lessons come into play and I'm able to talk about them because it's mine. So I can give the background on it. Whereas if I'm reading some other writer and there's a lot of great writers we talk about, I don't know their mind when they're doing it. So yeah, it's been, I've been fortunate enough to be able to bring it into my classrooms for sure. It must be very fun for the students. Yeah. Everybody's fascinated by Bigfoot. I mean, it's, it's, it's really people are really digging Bigfoot in this country right now. Um, I'll I'll stay away from the politics, except to say that I believe that evidence-based approaches to evaluating reality should not be a partisan value. That that should be every side of our political spectrum should respect uh, the the importance of facts. Uh, Mm -hmm. So anyway, that's another. Well, facts usually come from a process. You know, science is a process where you, you, you work to try to get things out. Journalism is also a process. And anything else that you're talking about, you're right. It's a process. Let's have facts. Exactly. So you started out this book as a, as a Bigfoot skeptic. At the end, are you, uh, are you still fairly skeptical or do you, are you leaning one way or the other? I went up and down through, through the whole book. Um, I, I think I'm, uh, I'm pretty split. I think that there's definitely a chance something like this exists, but I'm not, I I don't believe absolutely that a Bigfoot exists because I have not seen it. I have not heard it and I have not seen these other things. Um, On the other hand, the thing that keeps me from being a complete disbeliever is this. I've talked to too many people who tell me stories 
that are so clear in their mind. And I realize people can make things up and imagine things, but people who I know are sane or I, 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 I think are sane and, and the stories they tell me, um, I find it hard to believe they didn't see something. Again, I don't know if it was Bigfoot, but people are telling me clear as day. I saw something here. I saw something in Alabama. I saw something whatever. Um, I hear people like John Mazinski. His story was one of the most fascinating to me. This guy is, as I mentioned, unbelievable scientists, unbelievable outdoorsmen, put himself in peril to do research on grizzly bears that just, you know, came up to him in a, in a sleeping bag, for God's sake. When he told me that story, and, and which I tell in the book, I mean, I'm thinking, holy cow, that's unbelievable. So when a guy like Mazinski uh, um, believes so strongly, and a guy like uh, Cliff, Berkman believes strongly, or even some people that listeners to, to your show know tell me that it's it's tough for me to completely dismiss it. You know, that's the thing that gets me in there because first, uh, eyewitness accounts, like I tell my students and, and, and police officers, will tell you this, can be the most both the best and the worst evidence that you can get. Um, so that that keeps me in. That keeps me that keeps me pulled in more than anything else. Any personal experiences that you had that keep you in as well? I, I think that situation in Florida has me very intrigued. I'd okay. like to believe that I would like to believe that that was something. Um, the situation in Oklahoma uh, where something came up on Pam and, and they put her in the middle of the woods to test to see something there. Um, her reaction just um, I was somewhat shocked by it because I had talked to her for two days and Nothing seemed to bother. She was nonplussed about anything, and her heart was racing um, unbelievably high. Um, I forget what the pulse rate was when they got there. It's because we had a paramedic in the group and was checking it out. So th those are some things that um, I, I, had a, I had a couple of situations in my life that I wonder whether or not there was something. One of them I think I read about early on in the book when I was in uh, North Georgia in um, the Black Black Rock Black Rock Mountain Black Mountain. Um, it's 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 uh, near Clayton around the place where they filmed Deliverance and all that. We had gone whitewater rafting and then we went camping up there and um, it was about three in the morning and 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 it's about I don't know fifty yard walk down there to go to the bathroom and I, I do that all the time late at night. I don't I really don't get wildly spooked by things in the woods. And I was absolutely terrified to get out of my tent. I stood there just terrified. And this was before I did anything with the book. And afterwards, people tell me that um, if Bigfoot exists, there's a belief that they have such strong powers of, of getting you um, to not want to go certain places for whatever reason. Um, so sometimes, you know, sometimes we get terrified for some reasons and we don't know why some people were saying that's the case. One other time I was out in Western Virginia, uh, along the Blue Ridge mountains and, um, I was hiking by myself then. My wife was back making some, some food back at the camp. It was around dusk, maybe around four or five at night. And, um, I was walking, walking, walking. And I was, I don't know, several miles away from camp in the middle of the woods there. And suddenly I had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to turn around. And I, I can't explain why, because it just came out of the blue. Um, and I complied and, and turned around. And people tell me that those possibly be, could be connections. But again, who knows what goes through a human psyche in the middle of the woods? I mean, think about all the stories that the pilgrims had early on and, and, uh, and, and other explorers. So who, who's to say?
I believe people experience things. And, you know, we've talked to so many people who've had what they think are ghost experiences or Bigfoot experiences. And, sure. and it's just that it's uh, whatever is going on. It's certainly part of the human condition and it's worth mm-hmm. investigating. And so uh, I think. And yeah, keeping an open mind. About. Yeah, absolutely. So right. uh, I, I, I don't know. We'll probably, you know, I, I've personally as a skeptic, I've sort of taken the. I provisionally don't believe, but am always prepared to change my opinion if, uh, you know, DNA, a body, that sort of thing shows up. Uh, You know, and if I actually saw Bigfoot, who knows, right? I mean, I would probably still doubt my eyes because that's just where I'm at. But uh, that doesn't stop me from getting the heebie-jeebies at night, right? Oh, I'll tell you what. If I talk to people, you know, it's very easy to disbelieve in your living room late at night or in the daytime. Uh, now go in the woods and tell me that you don't believe about some of these things. Yeah, no, it <laughs> matters. The setting matters for sure. Absolutely. I believe in bears and rattlesnakes anyway. <laughs> right, setting absolutely matters. It absolutely uh, does. Well, we've got one final question, Joe, that we like to ask all of our guests, and that is, what's your favorite monster? You know, um, I don't know that this can counts, you know, because I, I, I like sort of uh, – like Mothra, <laughs> well, Godzilla. Absolutely, um, I know. That. Ah. Those, those are the ones. I mean, Mothra with those wings and just shooting people everywhere. Those, that's just awesome. That sort of a butterfly or a moth can do that. I love Mothra. Um, that's that's a really fun character. Or uh, I asked my daughter, and she goes, "How about Sully from Monsters Inc." Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all kinds my of son's things. favorite too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So you know, all of those. There's all. I just love monsters. I mean, probably the most scary one for movies or something like that would be Nesferatu. You know, just looking at that old black and oh, white, yeah. and seeing them stealthily go through there. That that'll give you those heebie-jeebies you're talking about. Um, that holds up well. Yeah, I mean, it's very creepy makeup. Max Shrek, I believe. Oh. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> was it? Yeah, that's some scary stuff. Did you well, see the? Uh, very, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Karen. I didn't mean to step on. I you. was just going to say we've got a very broad definition of a monster here. So for, for sure. Oh, for sure. okay. Did you see the, the humans new, as well? Did you see Kong Skull Island? I want to see that. Did you see it? Oh yeah. And if you if you go, stick through the credits. Is it worth seeing? There's a little something after the. If you like big monsters, you're going to love this film. It is not uh, some of like America's finest literature. Uh, but but it is, uh, if you like to see monsters smashing up stuff real good, uh, I think you'll yeah. really enjoy it. So, <laughs> and, and actually, one of the reasons I'm pulled in is I really love John C. Riley. Oh who, yeah, I love, I, I love the comedic effect. So I, I really want to see his performance in this as well. He does a great job. I mean, you know, they're working with the script about giant monsters on the island, but it uh, the special effects are great, and I think everybody's very earnestly trying to do their best. So it's a lot of fun. But do stay after the credits. Uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for spending an hour with us. We really appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. That was really interesting. And, and uh, everyone has to go out and buy the book. It's, it's a lot of fun and um, so different to everything else out there. And we'll put a link in the show notes. Monster Dog. You've been listening to Monster Talk. I'm Blake Smith. And I'm Karen Stolzner. Monster Talk is the science show about monsters, and you just heard an interview with journalist Joe Gisandi about his new book, Monster Trek, which explores the culture of Bigfoot hunters and is a fascinating story of a mystery near and dear to Monster Talk listeners. A link to his book will be in the show notes at monstertalk.org. 
Monster Talk is an official podcast of Skeptic Magazine. The views expressed on this show are those of myself and my guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. You can learn more about their views by getting into a four-wheel drive vehicle, riding hours out into the wilderness, and carefully recording and then decoding the mysterious tree knocks that may come from Michael Shermer. Or you could just go to your own local newsstand and pick up the latest issue. It's your call, but there's probably fewer mosquitoes at the newsstand. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. Each episode, we strive to bring you the best in monster-related content with a focus on bringing scientific skepticism into the conversation. If you enjoy Monster Talk, we now have a variety of ways to support the show, all with convenient links at monstertalk.org forward slash support. That's monstertalk.org forward slash support. There we have links to our Patreon pages as well as the donation button. A great way to support the show is to buy us books from our Amazon Monster Talk wish list which directly helps us with our research. We love used books very much, so don't feel compelled to buy new ones. And we love Kindle, and we can share our digital library with each other. Finally, without spending any money at all, you can support us by leaving a positive review at iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Positive reviews help keep us visible in iTunes, which is a great way to help us find new listeners. And please, share our show on your favorite social media platforms. I'd like to take a moment to especially thank the listeners who have sent in books from our Amazon wish list. I'm looking forward to making episodes out of many of these, and they are a delight. A lot of them don't actually have uh, indications of who sent them, so you know who you are. I thank you very, very, very much. Uh, interesting news. I've been accepted as a speaker at CryptidCon, and we'll have more information about that in upcoming episodes but I plan to be giving a talk there about using monsters to discuss science. And if you're in the Lexington, Kentucky area in September of 2017, check it out. A link to the con will be in the show notes or go to cryptidcon.com. Monster Talk theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. And thank you again for listening. For more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skeptic, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. So, I, I think our readers will get a real kick out of it, so... Thank and so our, our listeners will get a real kick out of it. <laughs> I, I don't right. know if anybody's reading Joe's our podcast. Readers, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah.